All right, so uh, we're in the book of Nehemiah. We're talking about leadership, and uh, Nehemiah's come from Babylon, five, six, seven hundred miles, back to Jerusalem specifically to build a wall. Uh, the wall has broken, been broken down. The city's been overrun. The people in the surrounding areas are fine with that because then the, the power uh, is out of that area into other areas. And Nehemiah's come back to rebuild the wall, and he has come into conflict. So like any mission, any effort, any business, any family, you, you know, you have this vision, but somewhere along the way, conflict happens. And so uh, last week, we talked about it, that right in the middle of uh, building the wall, halfway through, uh, he ha- Nehemiah experiences two pretty significant conflicts. One is an external conflict, that's chapter 4, and we talked about that last time. And then chapter 5 is an internal conflict. So if we just look back at chapter 4, uh, one of my favorite things uh, that, that is said here is in verse 21, chapter 4. Uh, these people come and they offer uh, verbal threats and then physical threats. So Nehemiah makes a plan to, to post a guard next to the builders And in verse 21, so we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars. So morning to evening, we we end up having to divide our labor force. Half of them had to hold a spear, and then the other half had to keep working. Um, And then verse 23, so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes each kept his weapon at his right hand. So there were a lot of principles that we talked about last time, but the main one here that I had liked so much is that in the middle of this conflict, Nehemiah just keeps doing what he's been called to do. He just keeps moving ahead. What happens is conflict happens to us, and it feels like a truck hitting us from the side, and it gets us off our plan. It becomes distracting. It becomes discouraging, whatever it is. And then you start saying, well, I guess I'm in the wrong place or whatever. And what I love about this is Nehemiah, he takes the lead, and he doesn't even take his clothes off. And I'm not suggesting you do this at home with your conflict or your business, but he's just saying, guys, we're not going to stop. I don't care what these other clowns over here are saying or not saying or doing or not doing. Yes, we're going to make a plan, but our plan is to keep building the wall. And so the energy that the whole team gets off Nehemiah is really critical. And so this, this kind of thing happens to you with some frequency, now, not all the time, because that would be a difficult life, but I talked to a guy just yesterday. He's got this internal conflict in his business, and he was like, what do I do? I said, you got to look big. You can't shrink back. You can't go into your office and close the door and kind of hope it all works out. No, you've got to get out there, and you've got to say, hey, we're still going to do all the things that we said we're going to do. But that's a hard thing when you're having, uh, in, when you're having conflict Uh, And so Nehemiah says, hey, we're going to keep moving forward, and that's what we see. And we, we we talked about this, speed of the leader, speed of the team. Courage of the leader, courage of the team. Faith of the leader, faith of the team. Everybody's keen off your leadership. 
especially if you're in a family. You set the leadership temperature in your family. Now, your wife might do a lot of things that you don't have time to do or you don't have the capacity to do, but you're setting that leadership temperature. You might be doing it in some other group in your business or your church or the community, but everybody's keen off the leader's energy. And so that's what we learned about last week. Now, chapter 5, we're transitioning into this internal conflict. And if you ask most leaders, would you rather experience an external conflict or an internal conflict? What do most of them say? I'd much rather face an external conflict. As hard as that is, it can kind of create like a rallying point. The people on your team can say, hey, you see this coming at us? You, you knew it was going to come, and let's all get, get around with each other. But when you have that internal conflict, man, that's super destructive, or it can be. And so that's what's happening here. And the internal conflict can threaten the, the going forward of the mission, like the wall, as much as an external conflict. They're both very real conflicts. And what happens a lot of times is they just happen in the middle of the project. Yeah, sometimes they happen in the beginning of the end, but it just feels like you've expended a lot of energy. Nerves are a little frayed. You're, you're, you're not as excited as you were at the kickoff. You've lost some energy. Maybe you have a few bumps and bruises, and then something happens to the team, and it begins to sort of fray. And that's a, that's a critical leadership moment. And that's exactly what Nehemiah has experienced. Chapter 4, verse 6, they finished the wall to half its height. And now tensions are starting to fray. They've experienced this external threat. They've got to post half their team with spears. So they've, they've lost some momentum. And internally, it's starting to break down. And the question we're going to try to answer is, when you have that internal conflict, what do, you, what do you do as a leader? What are things that you need to know to do as a leader? Now, I wanted to show this just a minute and a half video. Most of you have probably seen Apollo 13, that movie. So, I mean, it's got, a, it's got 100 great leadership pieces in it. But here they are. They're, you know, 200,000 miles from Earth, and they experience a problem, right? Houston, we have a problem. Now they've got to figure out how to swing around the moon and get all the way back home. And they're coming back home, and they're uncertain whether they, they're getting in the window to actually get back into the atmosphere. And they're cold, they're tired, and things just start to fall apart. So I wanted to show this, this piece. It's not, not, not all the language you would use with your mom on a phone call, but I think we can get the understanding. That's the only thing we got left, Jack. Now, what are you saying, Fred? Oh, I think you know what I'm saying. All I did was stir those tanks. What was that gauge reading before you hit the switch? Hey, don't tell me how to fly the damn CM, all right? You don't they brought me know, in here to do a job, asked me to stir the damn tanks, and I stirred the tanks! Jack, stop kicking yourself in the ass. This is not my fault! No one is saying it is. If I'm in the left-hand seat when the call comes up, I stir the tanks. Yeah, we'll tell him that. I just asked you what the gauge is reading. All right, we're not... And you don't know! All right, look, we're not doing this, gentlemen. We are not going to do this. We're not going to go bouncing off the walls for ten minutes! We're just going to end up right back here with the same problems. Trying to figure out how to stay alive. You ever been in that position? I have many, many times. Just everybody's tired. 
and a little seed of mistrust from the beginning of, is this guy really competent? Did he really do the right thing? Now has grown. And when we get the tension on, it, it spills out more easily. And Tom Hanks, he's, he just does such a great job in this place and a number of other places to, to get these two people to say, we're not going to have a meltdown right here, guys, because we're, gonna, we're just going to come back to right here. This, this isn't doing us any good. But somebody at that point has to step in and do something. Listen and then say, we're, guys, okay, we're moving forward. And that's exactly what happens in Nehemiah chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives. So there's a great outcry, and notice what it says, chapter, one, or chapter 5, verse 1, against their Jewish brothers. So here's the internal conflict. We've got people having an outcry against the same people on the same team. This isn't an external threat. This is an internal threat. And what's happening here is that the laborers are working so hard that they don't have time to go back and tend their fields. And so they've got to buy some food with some reserve money, and then they run out of money. But which is it, the wall or our family? Then they start borrowing money. And they get in such a difficult position that they end up having to sell their family members as slaves in order to eat. And guess who's making all the money off these laborers? Rich people in the town. So the rich people are exploiting the laborers. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. They have the money. They're not contributing to building the wall, so they see all these people and say, hey, they got to have food, and well, we're going to make the prices a little higher, and it's going to be a little steeper, and then they're going to sell the service of their kids back to them, and, and they're thinking, hey, this is a great moment for us, and you've got two people on the inside fighting against each other, and Nehemiah, this is what he's facing, and, and uh, one of the things that I want us to say here, it's on this sheet, is when, when we face these kinds of issues, they're not going to come up quite in this way. But if you're the leader of the team, I think this is just three things that there, there could be more, but three things that you'll just notice about your team that you'll start saying, I think we have an internal problem. Number one, people on your team want to control rather than serve. I, I know if you've been on a team, you've seen this personality. You're a team member, but somebody on that team, they really don't want to serve the team. They'd rather just control the team. And when you have that, you're going to start having an internal problem. If you're the leader, you just want to watch out for that. Hey, here this person is. We're on a team. We're all trying to do something together, but one of us doesn't really want to serve. They really want to control. Now, in a church context, you have a group called the deacons. And that word in the Greek means to serve. And so we have a group of, of, of deacons, men and women, who serve as deacons here. And their, their role is to serve the church, specifically to serve the elders. And they do a lot of leadership things, but really 
The role is, hey, what the elders want to give to the deacons, the deacons need to serve and to make that happen for the elders. And when a deacon would say, no, I'd rather control rather than serve, and we don't have that here, thankfully. But if you did, then you have a, a demon deacon. <laughs> because you have somebody who's designed to serve, but now they'd rather control. So just on your, in your own situation, you could be the person that's the team member, and you could say to yourself, I'm really here to serve, but I feel like I'm trying to control. Or you could be the team leader and see that happen. A second thing, when the failure of the team members isn't the everyone's concern. When you're on a mission and you're all trying to make something happen and failure happens somewhere and it's not everyone's concern, then you might start looking around and saying, we're going to experience some internal conflict. Third thing, when a team member tries to manipulate others or circumstances to further their own agenda. A lot of this happens by in-runs, uh, little secret meetings in the parking lot, just little things that happen. You, you can't quite say it in the group, so you and your two friends go over here and have the little conversation and say, hey, let's make sure this happens. This happens all the time. It happens all the time. You, just as the leader, you've got to Look around and see what's happening. You've got to see what's going on. If you have kids, your kids do this all the time. They go to their room and conspire against you as the parent and come back out. And so you just got to, as the leader, you've got to be watching this because you don't want your team to break down internally. So one question you might just be asking yourself is, is, that there, is there some sort of uh, rift right now in your family, in your business, in your church, in some group that you're in that maybe needs to be addressed. You can just start seeing it right now that if it doesn't get addressed now, might blow up in a more tense moment and cause more damage. All right, so then let's look at how Nehemiah handles this. So here we've got the problem. Verse 7, here's what he does. Verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. So we'll see who's been paying attention. When you're very angry, what's the first thing that you do? What do you do? Not push on. What? Step back. Way to go. Whoever said that, first in line for the pancakes. When you're, I mean, anger is a very complicated emotion. And it almost always causes you to move forward. Maybe not physically, maybe verbally. I just get angry and boom, I'm, I'm off to the races. My tongue starts rolling. And Nehemiah, notice what he says, verse 7. I took counsel with myself. That's the step back. That's a huge leadership thing. That, this might be the most important thing for some of us here, just I, I see something, I get angry, I have a, a big emotional reaction to it, and instead of lurching forward and grabbing somebody around the neck and start choking them, I step back and I, I take counsel with myself. Another phrase that gets used here is I turn it over in my mind. 
And I love that phrase because turning it over is like a rock. You, you say, I see everything, but when you pick up the rock and turn it over, there might be things that you don't see right away. So when you're turning a problem over in your mind, you're saying, let me try to look at it from a different angle. I'm super angry right now, but there may be other factors that I can't see. And think about Nehemiah. What could be other factors that he can't see? One, he's just now hearing about it. It's been taking place for some time, but he's just now hearing about it. And he may feel embarrassed I'm the leader, and I don't know this big problem on my team. I'm embarrassed. And from my embarrassment, i got to get angry to really shift the focus off me. This, guys, this happens all the time. You may have done it. You're supposed to know everything because you're the leader. Somebody comes to you with an ongoing problem. You feel angry, but mostly you're embarrassed that you don't know about it. So you do something in an exaggerated way out of your anger, that wouldn't be a good thing. That could be a possibility for Nehemiah. Think about Nehemiah. What was he before he came here? He was a slave. He was a poor person. Hey, the king is taking advantage of the poor people back in Babylon. Now we've got the rich people taking advantage of the poor people back in Jerusalem. Do you see how his history could swing him into an area that wouldn't be healthy. He's got all this historical anger that now is going to just kind of shoot out in an unhealthy way. This happens, this happens, especially tense day at work, come home, what happens? Kick the dog, right? Dog runs up to you. (laughs) And it's, it's not because of the dog's fault. It's not because of your wife's fault. It's not because of your kid's fault. Of course, it can happen in reverse. Frustration at home, you come to work and just, you know, you're a big wrecking ball. So turning it over, stepping back helps you say, why am I so angry? Is this anger justified? Now for Nehemiah, it is, he is justifiably angry. So he steps back, he turns it over, and then he begins to address it. I took counsel with myself and... I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I, I, took, I, I brought these charges against them. So I don't think there's a lot of time between I took counsel and I brought charges. Sometimes you, you might need five minutes. Sometimes you might have a day or a week. I mean, it all depends. But I, I think for Nehemiah, he steps back. He assesses, yeah, this isn't right. And then he moves forward. First thing, just the first thing in terms of anger management, we got to learn how to step back. So second, anger ma- first anger management, second, action, and I brought charges against these people. It's, it's okay to have a problem. It's not okay to ignore it. It's okay to have a problem. It's not okay to ignore it. I was listening to Bill Hybels. Some of you know this name. He was talking about this passage, and his little axiom is to move towards funk fast. So if there's some funk in your organization, there's some kind of funk in your team, I'm going to move towards that fast. Now, some of us, when we get angry or when we get emotional or when we have conflict, we maybe act too quickly. That definitely happens. But I would bet more of us 
don't act quickly enough. That would be my guess, percentage-wise. You just kind of close your door and say, these people should be adults. I mean, can't they take care of the problem? Or I'm just sure this is going to get over. Tomorrow will be better. Or you have all these kinds of things that go around in your mind that make you stay in your room and not come out and move towards funk fast. And I don't know if you've noticed, if you have a funky problem with your car and you ignore it, how many have experienced it got better all by itself? I mean, never. I, have, I honestly wish that every time I hear a strange noise like, well, maybe tomorrow it won't be there. But if you have a problem, let's say your car is misaligned and it always pulls to the left, and you know, you take your hands off the wheel and you're like, I'm going left every time. If you don't address that, what happens? You end up having tire problems, right? Because now your tires are all wearing off on one side. And the tread looks great, but the guy says, hey, on the inside, you know, you got steel coming out. And that's exactly what happens if we don't move towards funk fast, then other problems start happening. So I just want to encourage you, if you're like me, I would be the kind of person who would want to say, I'm going to close my door and hope it just sort of all goes away, that, no, you got to move towards funk fast. I, I think you probably know that unity on a team is very fragile. Very fragile. I mean, you can have a really great team, and it's really moving really positively, and it might not take but just one little thing, and then suddenly we're off course. So because it's fragile, you want to say, hey, I, want to, I really want to be looking around. As soon as a seed gets planted, I want to go pull that up. I don't, I don't want it to be a tree that I have to remove. So... It, when, when you feel this anger, you do want to step back and turn it over in your mind and say, are there other things that might be affecting how I feel? But then when you assess, no, this, this isn't right. I've got to do something. Then please do something. Move towards this funk fast. Try to get engaged. Try to pull the seed out before it takes root. Third thing that Nehemiah does is he addresses the problem head on. You see these in the next following verses. So this is just how he does it. Um, I, I, first of all, I called a meeting. I'm, I'm bringing everybody together, and I'm saying exactly what the problem is. You are exacting interest from your brothers. See, I held a great assembly, verse 7. So I'm going to get every first thing, I'm just going to get everybody in the room. All the people are there, and, we're gonna, and we're gonna, I'm going to say as clearly as I can what the problem is. As far as we're able, we've, uh, look, he's saying, as far as we've been able, we've brought back our Jewish brothers who've been sold to other nations, but now they're having to sell their brothers in, or, or in order to, to eat. Into verse 8, they were silent and couldn't find a word to say. So Nehemiah, he pinpointed the problem. They could have said, hey, we're not actually doing that. Okay, well, what is the problem? No, he, he said, guys, we're going to all get in the room, and I'm going to draw the problem up here as clearly as I can. And then you can say, oh, that's not quite the problem, or that, but I'm going to get to what's the problem, and he had already gotten to it. This is the problem. So I called a meeting. I said it with just painful clarity. 
verse 11. Okay, now we've, we've said it, and it's not right. Uh, verse 9, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. I mean, just when you read this, it's painfully simple, isn't it? I had a problem. I stepped back and assessed the problem. I called a meeting. I clearly identified the problem. I told these people to their face, this isn't good, and now we're going to have a solution. This isn't rocket science, guys. This isn't like, wow. This, this is like, this is almost every problem that you can take this way and try to solve all these problems. Now, you're going to have dynamics inside of this, but, but I want us to notice, especially for 2018, he doesn't solve his problem over text, email, or Facebook. And this, happen, this happens, I mean, this just happens all the time. So just, you don't participate in it. If you've got a conflict, don't try to solve that in that way. Try to pick up the phone if you can't see the person face-to-face -face, or just sit down with them and say, we Houston, we have a problem. Here is the problem. Is this the problem? Yes, it's the problem. Okay, now this is exactly what's going to happen. Verse 11, return to them this very day. So we're not going to wait any time. We've identified the problem. You're going to give their fields back, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses. You're going to give a percentage of money back in grain, wine, oil that you've been exacting from them. Verse 12, then we, and then they said, we will restore these and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. This is just internal solving problems. Some leader has to stand up and say, here's the problem. Yep. Here's what has to be done very precisely. You're going to have to give everything back plus some. Right? Right. And I'm going to stand there until the solution is agreed upon. And then he says, he takes his robe and he shakes it out like dust off, a, uh, off, of, off of a rug. And he says, if it doesn't happen to you, if you don't do this, then you're going to be like this dust. You're going to just be trampled underfoot by the Lord God Almighty. They're like, oh, we don't want that. We don't want that. Stop shaking your robe. We're going to give the money back. So when you're the leader, you've got to clarify what ha has happened. You've got to clarify what needs to happen. And then you've got to ensure that it actually does happen. Because you could get a lot of clarity and then walk out and the people never really do what you say. That, ha that happens with some frequency. So you've got to say, hey, I'm going to be on this until this changes. Why? Because this can destroy your family. This can destroy your business. This can destroy a church. So you can't just identify it. You've got to stand there and say, I'm going to make sure this happens. I'm not going to let the seed fall back down in the hole. I'm going to, I'm going to pull it out and make sure it stays out. Internal conflict. Is there a place of internal conflict? Are you willing as a leader to get involved, to be a part of the solution?
as a Christian, what motivates us or fuels us to get involved in a rift? Well, you're in a church, the answer is always Jesus, right? There's a rift here. It's an internal conflict. It's a family problem. It's not an external problem. Some of the families ripped away from the dad. And they're not going to be able to get back. So somebody has to move. Somebody has to move towards them. Get involved in the rift. And so God comes down and gets involved. And he doesn't say, okay, so now I've gotten involved because of Jesus. You can get back into a relationship with me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, I've laid down this track so I can come and come towards you. That's why as Christian men, this is the fuel that gives us the energy to go back towards our wives, to go back towards our children, to go back towards our enemies, because this is exactly what God's done for us. If you're not a Christian, and some of you here might not be, then it's still good to do these things principally. But if you are a Christian, you're motivated. What, what, what's the engine that drives that is that God Almighty has done that for you. I was an enemy of him, and he came towards me and says, I can't take this rift in the family. And because of that, then I have the energy to go towards even people who would be enemies to try to make things better. All right, I'm going to give you about 10 minutes, so get in a group of uh, two or three or four. And these questions will be up here, and you can uh, file through them. Ready? Break. Break.